0: All right, we're going to start with Richard and Joyce and Mike, and first up is Richard. Good morning, Richard. Morning, Bob. Morning, um, sir.
1: Subject: subject plant today is prickly pear cactus. Okay. I had heard that if you mechanically shear off the plant at ground level, remove everything that was above the plant, That it will not grow out, grow back. Is that correct?
0: That is correct. We've got one problem though. It's what you do with the part that you sheared off, because you could take that prickly pear, you could split it into seventy-five individual pads, and every one of those pads would grow a whole new plant. So you, um, (laughs) that's the question. What are you going to do with it? I guess you could always burn the spines off of it and let the cattle eat it, uh, which they will do. The is it tastes so good to them that first thing you know they're eating uh, plants that still have the spines on them and that leads to veterinary issues so uh, what I recommend people do is exactly what you said shear it off at ground level push it into a pile and then douse it with a fairly strong concentration of molasses I'm saying you know maybe half a cup of molasses to a gallon of water but when you do that it just turns to mush. It just rots away before it has a chance to sprout and grow. So a uh, little bit longer answer than you really asked for, but breaking right. it off at the ground, yes, does kill it completely, but then you have to effectively dispose of that top or you're going to have more new plants sprouting than you ever dreamed of.
1: Excellent. Next question. Final question. The, uh, the little bug that's on the pads on the prickly pear yeah. that they get the red dye from.
0: Right, the cochineal that, bug.
1: Is that parasitic, and how damaging is it to the plant long-term?
0: Well, you know, I don't know that I would use the word parasitic, but it, it the plant or the bug is, you know, living off of the plant. It is uh, It is taking, you know, nutrient from the plant. It is weakening the plant. And obviously, if it were just devastating to the plant you know the prickly cactus would be gone it would have been it would have been gone from the earth long before you know the people showed up and started using the cochineal dye there's there's a fascinating article about that by the way in the uh little co-op magazine that your various power co-ops put out and uh, it used to be quite a commercial product you know in the early days the native americans used it for many purposes but even back in the 1800s uh cochineal dyes brought a lot of money but uh it it is mildly damaging to the plant i would say it's more disfiguring than it is life-threatening because it just it turns it from a uh you know, and I think prickly pear cacti, and there's so many different species. Basically, they're, uh, the genus is opuntia on them, but, uh, it just discolors the pads. It makes it a much less attractive plant, but I can't say I've ever seen the cochineal bug actually kill the plant.
1: Excellent, Bob. Thank you for your time this
0: morning. Let me tell you one other thing, uh, just a little st- side story to tell you how tough cacti are. In uh, my college years, I made some of my money working for the uh, uh, herbarium at uh, at SMU where I was in school. And her- herbarium is a collection basically of dried plants. And dull and boring as it was, what you're doing is taking all these dried plants and affixing them uh, and notating them in certain ways. Well, cacti, in order to keep them from sprouting, you would have to take the pads of the prickly pear you slice them in half with a very sharp fillet knife you open them up you take a spoon you scrape all of the meat out of the inside of the pad and then you pack it with salt and dehydrate it as much as you possibly can that way and then you glue it to this herbarium specimen sheet and you stick it in a closet and some researcher maybe will look at it someday 10 years down the road after preparing cacti this way it was not unusual to go back a year later open up that closet where these sheets were stored, that pad had sprouted anyway, and there was this little bitty cactus plant kind of putting out these long little growths, searching for light. And those things are just survivors. Um, they are, I don't know, some of the toughest plants in the world to actually kill. And so <laughs> something like a coaching eel bug may make them look ugly, but it's sure not going to kill them. And when you break them off the, from the ground and want to get rid of them, boy, be sure you treat them somehow to keep them from resprouting because they're going to no, do their very best to take, take root and continue growing.
1: I don't think I'll eliminate them. I just want to control them at this point.
0: <laughs> and that's the best thing to do because they do provide a lot of food for wildlife, to provide uh, great nectar and pollen for uh, a lot of the bees and, and other pollinators out there. They're not a bad thing. They're just some places we have too many of them.
1: Do, do deer eat prickly pear cactus?
0: And only if they are very, very hungry and... Um, it it causes them you know a lot of problems the main thing that eat uh, prickly pear are smaller rodents i mean uh Cactus rats—they uh, uh, are a very common desert uh, rat uh, mice. The dipotomies, the kangaroo rats, and things like that uh, feed on them. Uh, a lot of uh, different insects, which are part of the food chain for birds and other things, will eat on them. So, uh, the very the large mammals—they uh, certainly eat the uh, the seed pods that form the tunas, as people call them, because on those they have no spine. And that, again, is just another evolutionary characteristic because uh, Mother Nature is happy for different creatures to eat the seed pod and then deposit the seeds a little bit more widely. But the actual thorny pads, I can't say I've ever seen deer eat those unless they're just starving.
1: Yeah, very good. Well, thank you for your time. Great answers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's just an interesting subject, Richard. I appreciate the call. You have a great weekend you too thank you sir bye all right Joyce's turn and then it'll be mike good morning joyce good morning bob good morning spring is peeking its head through here it just keeps (laughs) that stupid groundhog sure didn't know much this year did he i think we need to send hannah after that groundhog and take care of that but uh yeah they just (laughs) stick their heads out and pull it back in and stick it out and pull it back in but every day gets a little prettier so i'm sure enjoying it
2: yeah, and one of these days you're going to have to take the time to sit with a dog on a hillside and enjoy the world
0: <laughs> for a minute or <laughs> that'll, two. Anyway. That'll probably be about the middle of June. But, hey, I enjoy the world uh, even uh, when I'm moving at a fairly rapid pace.
2: That indeed you do. Uh, I, my question is about uh, my dwarf mulberry. It has leafed out. This is going on its third year. The first year I trimmed it back. The second year I didn't because I, was, I don't know how soon it will actually bloom or give me any fruit maybe so mm-hmm. my question is i want to cut it back again would it have uh bloomed by now if it were going to this year
0: no not necessarily oh, i think okay. it'd, it'd be another month before you could say that it's really past its blooming potential
2: okay, okay so i'm going to leave them alone then and before i do any because i want to make them more bush like mm-hmm growing up okay well that's not a problem at all that was that was the question
0: well the thing about mulberries is that they are you know tough plants they are so fast growing that that's one plant you can trim on almost any time through the spring and summer and it's just going to sprout right back out and continue growing so uh putting off your pruning for another four or five weeks uh shouldn't really affect the plant all that much if you prune it afterwards and i know you're not going to do major pruning you're just shaping it a bit so uh uh, if you if it needed major pruning, I'd say do it now and sacrifice the fruit. But where you're just doing a little tidy up sort of thing, uh, you can do that pretty much any time through spring or summer, Joyce
2: okay, well, I may go ahead and do the sacrifice because they're about two and a half to three feet tall, and I, they're almost as straight thick up. They're not doing mm-hmm. much in the way of branching, and I want them to branch. I want them to be more bush-like, so I'll, I'll make that decision. I guess Maybe I have two pots worth, so I'm sure. doing one and not the other. Well, and
0: remember, all you really need to do is just nip that, uh, that uh, apical bud on the top of the stem to get them to start branching, and remember that cutting them to force branching is only going to work if they are in brilliant sunlight uh if they are in subdued light then all they're going to do is grow spread out one bud to the side and continue that straight up growth
2: yeah i know that that, that
0: (laughs) so so you know nip them back a little bit if you like but also be certain they're getting that full full sun to encourage them to do the kind of branching you're looking for
2: i will do that the other the second question is years ago i had a pot of the little blastilla orchids and I thought I'd lost them, that it had frozen anyway. I guess mm-hmm. I forgot about it. And picked, used that pot a couple of years ago and planted some garlic chives in it.
0: Okay. Well,
2: <laughs> last year I noticed, and now it's it's doing better this year, that there are two little Blastillas coming up in the middle of my garlic chives.
0: <laughs> Very good.
2: And my question is, do I just leave it alone and encourage the them to grow that way, or do I need to kind of start kind of pulling away or taking out some of the garlic chive. I don't want to uh, hurt the blotillas.
0: Well, little blotillas are such interesting things. Um at some point, you probably want to give them separate homes, but you certainly don't want to do it at this time of year when uh, the little orchids are just putting on their foliage and thinking about blooming for you. Rather than try to, uh, you know, separate them out, because, you know, garlic chives are a dime a dozen, and, uh, yeah. uh, and they're also fairly tough plants, and, and you'll have to do this very carefully. But I'd just be in there with my finest little uh Uh, shears, and I'd just be clipping leaves off of the uh, garlic chives. I would be trying to pull them up or separate them or do anything that's going to mess up the root systems of either plant. But just a little thinning out, making very sure where those shears are and that you're not cutting on your latillas. I would... uh, uh, Yeah, I can
2: do that. That, It's not that thick. Yeah. yeah, they thick, but not uh, that bad. Bring it up,
0: you know, tabletop level or eye level or something like that where you can put a good light on it. I mean, we're, right. we're doing a little surgery here. We're creating a little operating suite so that we can be sure the only things we're cutting out of the garlic chives. But uh, I would pretty much cut the garlic chives back to ground level and let the little blotillas come up and bloom and do their thing. After that, as long as they're getting good light and you're fertilizing, then they can coexist just fine. But right now, early spring, I want to give those uh, blotillas the advantage.
2: Right. that's That was my thought. Well, I hadn't thought about cutting them back. That, that's, that will work. That will be a wonderful solution, so I thank you for that. And I wanted to tell you just one thing that was a big revelation to me. You probably knew it, but that was you have spoken a time or two or mentioned that you had an individual who loved growing radishes and grew a lot of them because they were so easy to grow, but he didn't like radishes. Right. I've sort of fallen into that group of, of. In this respect, I did not know that radishes were so wonderful to eat as roasted or braised. Mm-hmm. I did not like radishes. My, I mean, they've been around all my life, and I've never liked. I don't like the peppery taste. Right. Upon it. And I read in a cookbook that if you took the entire radish, I mean the entire plant, leaves, everything, do nothing to it except wash it, and then rub it with a little oil and roast it, how wonderful they are and that the greens get crispy And it. I have not tried that. (laughs) But what I did try was giving them a horizontal cut, three of them, cutting right through the radish the top, throw nothing away, Mm -hmm. and put them in a cast iron pan with a... I do kind of a a cross between a steam and a braise because I don't want to Mm -hmm. really steam it all. Put a little bit of water in there, put a lid on it, and they cook quickly. All of the peppery taste goes away. The greens are like spinach. I kind of chopped them up. They cook into a spinach-like green that tastes wonderful, and the radish tastes more like a little turnip in texture than it does a radish. I love them. Every time now I go to the store, I buy a bunch of organic radishes (laughs) and cook the whole thing, and I think they're terrific.
0: I'm going to start calling you Julia Child Joyce, and uh, (laughs) you can start growing some pots of those next fall. Joyce, it is a pleasure always visiting with you, and thanks for all the good tips.
2: Yes, sir. Talk to you later.
0: Okay, thank you. Bye. (laughs) Bye. All right, Mike's next, and then it's going to be Jim and Richard. Good morning, Mike.
2: Good morning, Bob. How are you doing, sir?
0: Oh, it's just going to be a wonderful day out there.
3: Indeed it is. Indeed it is. I'm going to think I'm going to change my stand, Bob. If I was doing any better, I'd be taking pictures. I'm going <laughs> to say if I was doing any better, I'd be taking videos.
0: Right. Uh, that sounds like it. <laughs> See, like you're on the move.
3: Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, listen, Bob, on my tomato uh, seedlings, I'm on some of them, I'm getting a little bit... <clears throat> A little bit of white down at the bottom of the stem and, and a little swelling in, in places is, is that a fungus? Is that something to worry about? I mean I've got
0: how does it how do the, the top time, of the it, plants look? How are they growing and how do the tops of the? Top all, all the
3: tops of the plants look great. Yeah. I mean you in fact, I think this is my best year yet of starting you know everything that I've started in and you know for the first time, everything you know all of our favorites, oh my yeah really I'm what I about that
0: what I think you're looking at is actually, you know, we've talked many times about how tomatoes are one of those plants that can form roots all the way up and down the stem. Oh yes sir. And when they are in real good culture, when they are in an area of fairly high humidity, sometimes that tissue down toward the base of the stem does exactly what you're talking about. It gets lighter colored, it actually gets very rough looking like a little swollen areas and I've even seen them almost start putting out aerial roots. So I think what you're looking at is that little plant is sitting there in anticipation that one of these days it's going to get deeper down in the ground, and you're looking at the precursor to those new roots that would be forming up and down the stem. I think that's all on earth you're looking at, and I can't think of anything more normal to happen to a little tomato plant. Yeah, okay,
3: Bob. I just, you know, some of them were more pronounced, you
0: know. Yeah, and that's a great, you know, none
3: of the, the Lemon Boys do, you know, you know, some you know it, it's odd, but uh, and then again, I started my lemon boy seed a little bit later. Sure. But, uh,
0: no, I, I think uh, that's perfectly normal and not a thing to be concerned about, and just a reminder that when they do go into bigger pots or go out in the garden, wherever you plan to grow them, it's just a little reminder to bury them a little deeper because that plant wants oh, yes to make a, an yeah. increased root system, and that's all you're seeing is a little callus-like tissue that uh precedes the root formation so i'm virtually certain that's all you're looking at
3: okay good yeah i'm i'm you know i've got some that are near three feet tall. i'm just i'm just waiting <laughs> <Bob>. <laughs> it's, it's, you know I, I i've been i've been tempted you know and i'm uh, you know still working on getting my new area ready these are both going in the old area uh I noticed my 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 supplier, Bob, or, you know, my closest supplier, you know, I told you she carries a lot of organic products. Right. She's got uh, Nature's Guide, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of their products, and, and I see she's got some of their compost in the bag. She doesn't have any more of the, any more. The ladybug? Yeah. Yeah, you know, the ladybug, but uh, uh, I've never used it, and I'm sure it's great, and, and I make most of my own. Uh, do you do you carry their product?
0: Um, when we, we still have a good deal of the, uh, ladybug product, but ladybug. it is, it is what we will replace ladybug with, uh, uh, is right. not a secret, but you know, we don't talk about it a lot. We participated very closely with nature's guide. My business partner, Roberta and I did to develop <laughs> yeah. that product and develop the bag for it. So, uh, oh. I've been looking at that product for two years in uh, preparation to they're actually getting it on the market. So I feel like it's an excellent product.
3: Great. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud of Lisa over there. She carries
0: yeah. a lot of good stuff, you know. Uh, uh. Okay, yeah. It's, Bob, it's uh, a good company. It's staffed by people who are very dedicated organic folks, and uh, I, I will say we oh, have yeah, no I'm financial talking. interest. We didn't, we didn't get paid a penny for giving them all their help. We just wanted to see another really good product on the market. So, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, that Nature's Creation product is going to be a, a real good thing as it becomes more and more widely available in the marketplace. You know, she's got a stag deep over there. And, uh, you know, she, she, <laughs> well you go go <laughs> relieve her of a little bit of it and get out and have oh, a good weekend.
3: Oh yeah. All right,
0: Bob. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Mike. Thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. It's gonna be uh Jim and Richard and Marcy. Guys, I am so loaded with commercials. Let me uh let me do another live spot here and then we'll go back to phone calls. I want to talk to you for a minute about Black Cow because <clears throat> you know, sometimes you just want a an inexpensive manure-based product uh, to use, uh, and you don't want to. You don't have a trailer. You don't have a truck. You're going to buy it in a bag. Uh, you might want to check out Black Cow. It's uh, they they call it the Mature Manure, and what it is is just good old composted cow manure. But you don't have to go out to the fields and pick it up and shred it like we used to do. It's a very basic product. It is very high in nutrients, about ten times as much as most other cow manure products have, and uh, it's you know good good quality at a very, very reasonable price where you need to have a lot of material without spending a whole lot of money. It's been around for a long time. Lots of people just swear by it. You'll find it at fine major retailers all over the place. It's Black Cow, K-O-W. All right, let's uh, get another phone call in here, and that would be Jim. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, sir. How are you doing?
3: Uh, uh, I went. I'm over here in Nacogdoches
0: County. All right, sir. And uh,
3: on this rocky red clay, and I can't stick a spade in the ground without coming up with water.
0: <laughs> yup.
3: Yeah. And uh, I'm concerned about a lot of my landscape plantings, uh, the roots being damaged by by the saturation. Mhm. And, and I, I've got no way to drain it to anymore. I mean, it's, it's just there's no everything's wet.
0: Yeah. And for right over here. Yep, um, and it's not because you're adding the water; it's just because we haven't had enough sunshine. We haven't had all the usual things that draw that water out and you know use it other places. I share your concern, but I don't know of a blasted thing you can do about it, Jim. Now, if there, if you had an area that was lower. Uh, somewhere nearby, you could, in effect, create a French drain where you, in effect, dig a, uh, you know, in effect, a trench that would normally drain the water from a higher spot to a lower spot. And then what you do is put a piece perforated pipe in the bottom, fill back in with a very porous material, and it's sort of like just a little underground conduit to carry the water away. But if you're on fairly flat land, uh, that just really doesn't work. I think it indicates that... Uh, if you do more landscape planting, I would think about doing some raised beds or some berms or a natural way to be able to get your plants up a little higher. But at this point, about all I can tell you is don't make it any worse. You know, stay away from watering unless something, you know, unless or until that soil dries out. And um, But beyond that, uh, there's not a whole lot to do. Chances are, In the not-too-distant future, we are going to be warming up. Uh, We just haven't had much sunshine this spring is one of the big things holding it back. But as those plants start putting on their spring growth, as they start leafing out, they're naturally going to be drawing out and using a lot more of that moisture. So I don't know what to tell you, except just live with it.
3: Yeah, that's all we can do. Quick question. I've got uh, an Esperanza. I'm glad you talked me into those. Yeah. But it's froze to the ground. Is uh-huh. it
0: going to come back? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it'll come right back out. Uh,
3: how about porterweed?
0: Uh, porterweed probably will come back out, and I'm not as certain of that as I'm of Vesparanza, but probably it will. Okay.
3: All right, because butterflies love them. They, have
0: no <laughs> they do. There's they no do. I can Jim, i got go to go to news. news. Got to go to news. This sure. is KTSA San Antonio.